Hi, cadets. Jeff Heinbach here. No, George is out and about doing his massive roller coaster trek tour thingy this week, which you'll hear about next week on the Trip Report. So instead of recording an episode, I actually found an old episode back in our archives. This one was actually recorded way back in season two. No, it's about the land, which I know we already covered recently, but this is a different take on the land, which I actually totally and 100% forgot about. I believe this falls in the episode 73 area or so. So instead of this episode just never being released ever, we decided to release it today so you guys can hear it. Everything else is new, but it may seem a little rusty because, again, this is way back in season two, and, you know, we we sound a little different these days. So uh, check it out and enjoy. And speaking of, this episode is brought to you by the Communa Cruise. There's still plenty of spots left for you to join us on a wonderful cruise to the Caribbean in December. Uh, I believe the dates are, if you allow me a moment to look, this is very unprofessional of me. It's December 5th through 9th. I'm looking at my calendar, cadets. Apologies. But that is when the cruise is. We're going to have a great time. We're going to the Caribbean. There's a day at sea. We're going to have so much fun. But if you're interested, email communicorweekly at fairygodmothertravel.com and Teresa or one of her agents will hook you up with all the details. We hope to see you there. Hello and welcome to Cumicore Weekly, the greatest online show. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And we got a great episode for you today because we're talking about one of my favorite pavilions, the land over in Epcot. I oh, love that place. I thought you were talking about the Croissant Pavilion. There's a Croissant Pavilion? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Over there. Okay, in then tonight we're going to talk about my second favorite pavilion, okay. the Land Pavilion in Epcot. Good, good, good. Because you know. To say. Croissants are delicious. I don't know, I I don't know what you think, but. Well, they've got the hot buttery ride, and um, yeah, this is going to devolve very quickly. Yeah, this is going to get off course really, really quickly. Maybe we should just start the show. It's time for Disney History! The land sits on the western side of Future World at Epcot at Walt Disney World. Now, it opened on October 1st, 1982 as part of the Phase 1 features of the grand opening of what was then known as Epcot Center. Now, the land itself covers six acres and it makes it the largest pavilion at Epcot. The pavilion itself is dedicated to human interaction with the land itself, and it explores how humans can both use the land for their benefit and how they can also destroy it, which, you know, is not a good thing, so don't no. do that one. Please don't. Yes. Future technology for better preservation of the land is also explored in the pavilion, along with the focus on the celebration of the land itself. Now, in addition to being uh, an entertainment venue, the land is also a demonstration, production, and research facility. 43,000 square feet of the pavilion are dedicated to experimental horticulture techniques in hydroponics, irrigation methods, and integrated uh, pest management. So, while the Land Pavilion has existed since opening day, it has gone through three significant phases. The Pavilion's first incarnation involved a 10-year sponsorship under Kraft Foods, Inc., which was from 1982 to 1992. 
and Kraft played a vital role in co-financing the everyday functions of the attractions, uh, the restaurants and the shops, of course, all inside the pavilion. The pavilion's ex interior and exterior design featured earth tone colors and exotic plant life. Now, it was during this time that the pavilion also featured the Listen to the Land boat ride. Listen to the Land was narrated by a live cast member who sat at the head of every single boat. At the beginning of the ride, the boats would go through a segment called the Symphony of the Seed, where lights and sculpted elements would give the illusion of seeds and plant uh, growing. The song Listen to the Land was also heard here, which is very popular. I love that song. Now, after this area, the boat ride continued through different climate areas and the greenhouses, much like the current version of the ride is now. I figured you'd be proud of me and went through that segment without singing the song. I w you know, I was waiting for it, and that's why there was kind of a pause after uh, I yeah. said that, but it's all right. It's okay. I'm going to move on now. So, <laughs> But I figured I'd get an award or something. i get a gold star. So the, the original names for the various greenhouses were, and this is the order that you would have seen them in the ride through, Tropics House, Aquacell, Desert House, or Dessert House, if you were really hungry. Ooh, Production, Dessert yeah, House. I like the Dessert House. Production House and Creative House. There also used to be a large revolving drum display. The huge drum would spin rows of lettuce around, giving them a gravitational force to teach about uh, growing methods, which could be used in space. Also, there on opening day was Kitchen Cabaret, which would run from 1982 to 1994. And it was a 14-minute audio-animatronic stage show led by Bonnie Appetit, and included acts of the Stars of the Milky Way, the Serial Sisters, Ham and Eggs, my two favorites, and the Colander Combo with the Fiesta Fruit. The show was a much-loved musical review that advocated healthy eating and provided a primer on the four food groups, meat, dairy, cereal, and fruits and vegetables. In all, the show contained 28 audio animatronics. A symbiosis was another attraction that was there on opening day, and it was a 70mm film shown in the Harvest Theater. The movie itself focused on the balance between technological expansion and the protection of the environment. The film showed environmental damage caused by humans and what is being done to help fix the damage that was created. In 1993, plans were made to update and modernize the overall tone of Epcot Center, and that included a major refurbishment of the land. At that time, Kraft withdrew its uh, sponsorship in uh, September 1993, and then Nestle came in to take its place. Co-financed by Nestle and the Walt Disney World Resort, a gradual refurbishment of the pavilion began on September 27, 1993. Now, the pavilion itself was cosmetically freshened. While some of the original design elements remained, the addition of more vibrant colors and fabrics to the various restaurants and shops gave the pavilion you know, a more modern and refreshed look. And the names of certain shops, restaurants, and attractions also changed during this time. The pavilion's main attraction, Listen to the Land, reopened mostly unchanged as Living with the Land in 1993. Now, like George said, a lot of the attractions changed and were renamed. Food Rocks is what replaced Kitchen Cabaret in 1995. And even though it features some of the elements from the original show, it was intended to be a more modern uh, uh, version and more appealing to younger audiences. It was now hosted by Food Rapper. Uh -huh. You see what they did there? Plan words. One of the uh, more meta characters ever created. But yes, still. Def definitely meta. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a little more edgy than the previous version of the show. Symbiosis also closed in 1995 and was replaced with Circle of Life, an environmental fable, a new film featuring the characters from The Lion King, which basically had the same message. 
and see I didn't sing the opening to The Lion King either. I was surprised. You're, you're getting, getting really good at this, George. Yeah, yeah. Getting you're better. Getting very good. After what, over a year? Uh, yeah, something like that. Something like that. So, well, in 2003, Nestle renewed its sponsorship of the land, and as part of the new sponsorship, it was stated that Nestle would oversee its own refurbishment to both the interior and the exterior of the pavilion. So, between 2004 and 2005, the pavilion underwent its second major refurbishment. It received a new color scheme featuring a vibrant selection of white, yellow, and green. New foliage was added to com complement the existing greenery. The walkways and stroller parking to the pavilion's entrance were redefined and widened. All of the carpeting in the pavilion was replaced, and the main food court was completely redesigned. The pavilion's signage was updated. Uh, it incorporated the new color scheme, new typography, and a modernized logo type. And the only thing that remained unchanged was the pavilion's original dedication plaque. Now, the most significant change to the land during this refurbishment period was the demolition of food rocks. And, of course, taking its place would be Soarin', the major e-ticket attraction that was having a lot of success over at Disney's California Adventure. Now, as you all know, the ride simulates the experience <laughs> of a hang glider over various landscapes, and Soarin's massive movie screens and the ride mechanics requires the construction of a large physical addition to the pavilion itself. It's just a shame that the ride is terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wondered if uh, Opinion was going to make it into this. Uh, opinion always makes it into it. I hate Soarin'. I'm sorry. <laughs> My favorite pavilion in Epcot ha also hosts the worst ride. Go figure. <laughs> worst ride in all of Epcot or all of Walt Disney World? All of Walt Disney Company overall. Wow. In all the theme parks. I, I hate sounds like a That sounds like a throwdown right there. I will take Soarin' to the max. <laughs> <laughs> or something. <laughs> so the, the land then would officially reopen on May 5th, 2005, which coincided with the start of Disney's Happiest Celebration on Earth campaign, which in retrospect was kind of like limited time magic, but for a lot longer. Uh, in February 2009, Nestle pulled out of sponsorship, leaving the land without a sponsor for the first time. In July 2011, Chiquita signed on as the new sponsor for the ride, Living with the Land, and only the ride segment, um, as the rest of the pavilion still remains sponsor-less. And while the land as a pavilion has somewhat changed, its purpose has not, and it remains a positive and a serious experience featuring elements from all three of its phases, allowing today's guests to experience all that the land has to offer. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is Bill Peet, an autobiography, of course, by Bill Peet, published in 1989 with 190 pages. Now, I really hope that the name Bill Peet is familiar to most Communicorps cadets, uh, not just because of Peet's work with Disney, but also because of his many children's books, uh, books like Chester the Worldly Pig, The Caboose Who Got Loose, and Cyrus the Unsinkable Sea Serpent are some of his more well-known books. He was also a story artist on many of the major animated films up until The Jungle Book when he left the company after a disagreement with Walt. Uh, he's also well known for a few fantastic shorts like Susie the Little Blue Coop and Lambert the Sheepish, li Sheepish, Sheepish Lion, which I can't say that too easily. Anyway, so at, at first glance, Pete's biography is really geared towards children. 
Uh, it's extremely well illustrated since he was an illustrator and a painter. And every single page has a black and white illustration and text, of course, relating the tale. It follows Pete's life up until 1988, and he did pass away in 2002. The book itself is really fascinating. You get a great look at what it was like to work at the Disney Studios and directly with Walt. As with any biography, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Pete respected Disney tremendously, but still felt like their relationship was very adversarial. Pete uh, paints an image of Disney that's gruff, callous, and very similar to a wounded bear. And I know I've heard that term a lot when uh, studio workers have referred to Walt Disney. They often called him a wounded bear. Still, it's a great look at, into the Disney studios during the heyday of all those animated classics. Uh, along the biography, we meet George Drake at the Disney Annex, Storyman Leo Ellis, Don DeGrady, Al Geis. And we meet a lot of different bid players at the studio that help round out the story. And uh, one of my favorite anecdotes was about company softball games. And this is a direct quote. When it came to softball games, Walt was so fiercely competitive that it was laughable. All the players on both sides were Disney employees and so were the umpires. When Walt came to bat, he was sure to get a hit one way or another. If he dribbled the ball back to the mound, the pitcher threw wild, far beyond the first baseman's reach. If Walt sent a lazy pop fly to the outfield, the fielders invariably bobbled it. When Walt came sliding home, he was nearly always called safe. If he was called out, Walt was furious. Of course, Walt seldom struck out. So it's, it's great to look at this and to see this work that Bill Pete's done that talks about his life, not just at Disney, but outside of Disney, and learn how he struggled being an artist in the 20th century. Uh, all in all, it's a fun read for adults and for kids. It is a juvenile biogra a biography, but I still found it very engaging, and most adults will finish it in a few sittings, and will walk away with a much better understanding of what it was like working at the studios and what Bill Pete did with his entire career. And once again, this is Bill Pete, an autobiography, published in 1989. If it's a legend that you seek, come on and take a peek at the window of the week. Far East Imports, Exotic Art, Mark Davis, Proprietor. Now this window is located in Disneyland above the Disneyana shop, which is actually the home to Starbucks now, so you're not going to get any Disney collectibles in there. But for those of you who don't know, Mark Davis was one of Walt's famous nine old men. He was instrumental in helping Walt establish his place in animation history and was responsible for developing such characters as Cinderella and Tinkerbell. Now, in 1961, after working in 101 Dalmatians, Walt asked Davis to move over to Wed Enterprises to help develop story concepts, character designs, and gags for some of the Disneyland attractions. His sketches for Pirates of the Caribbean and Jungle Cruise are some of the most well-known concept art in the Disney world. Though he retired in 1978, he continued to contribute designs for Epcot and Tokyo Disneyland. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. <laughs> so everyone knows that R2-D2 and C-3PO are known to get themselves into trouble every now and again. But getting sent back to ancient Egypt? <laughs> Man, we have no idea how those two do it. Now, what we're talking about is, when you go on the great movie ride at Disney's Hollywood Studios, you'll see Indiana Jones and Sala with the Ark of the Covenant, 
And in that room, you can find the two famous droids carved into the hieroglyphics. Now, it's towards the middle of the room on the left-hand side behind uh, the, the, the card itself. So if you're looking at Indy, it'll be directly behind you. Wow, so we brought time travel into it again. Yeah, go figure. Well, they're, I mean, they're it's in space. Everywhere. So you, no, you gotta figure. True. It was a galaxy far, far away a long time ago type stuff. So but Yeah, they definitely have to have time travel. I'm sorry, but they have to. They just yeah. didn't get into that part of that story for some reason. Well, thanks so much for watching and listening to the show. Yep, be sure to leave us a comment and rate us on iTunes. Yep, and email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. You can also like us on the Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. For Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly the greatest online show.